day it's been, right? You never know what's going to happen. Last night we were driving back from Pennsylvania, and we've seen, I've seen drunk drivers before on the road, or someone that I would think would be a drunk driver, kind of swerve in and out. And last night he took it to a whole other level. Uh, after about three, four minutes of them just continually swerving the lane, Kenny and I said, man, we've got to do something about this. So in New Jersey, you, you dial pound 77, and you call up, say, hey, there's a distracted driver. We think this individual is driving drunk or texting or whatever. For, what do you say, 20 miles there, about 15, 20 miles, we followed this individual on Route 80. It is a wonder that no one was hurt, including the driver. You just, you just never know what's going to happen. So we lose sight of him after talking to the cops three different times to say, get this guy off the road. Finally, we lose him in Clifton Patterson area. And we're like, man, what a dejected feeling to not know that this guy is off the road, not knowing what happens. And thankfully, Sarah had to go back to New York and she was driving on Route 80 and said they got him. And seeing what just happened a few moments ago with the unexpected, you never know what's going to happen. And as individuals, we have to be prepared for when our moment to meet God happens. And we don't get to set it on our own terms. We don't get to say, man, I really hope I get to the next birthday or I get to this or I get to that. We never know what's going to happen. And so we are thankful when people like Bill Blake, who was here one Sunday, that very night says, you know what, I need to go to the doctor, goes to the hospital the next morning, here it is almost three months later before he's ever able to walk back in the doors. You just don't know what's going to happen. And yet we live life like we've got life planned, like we've got it all under control, like Life is in our hands. And that's just not the way it is. And it takes sometimes drastic things for that to really hit home with myself. Because I am young, I am invincible, and nothing will ever happen to me. And man, we don't know what is going to happen. And so it's moments like this, I think of passages like Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter. Think of some of these better things in life. I think about verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. And what do people think about you? What do people say about you? Jesus actually warns people in Luke, the sixth chapter, be, well, be woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Or so they did to the false prophets. Like if everyone likes you, that might be a red flag of, hey, maybe I'm not what I'm supposed to be. You say, well, what are you, why would that be such a bad thing? that everyone speaks bad of you, a good name is better than precious ointment. Yeah, it is. But just because you have a good name in the neighborhood does not mean that you have a good name with our maker. That's the name that means the most. 
And I think, uh, was, which prayer was it? I think someone led the prayer that we live up to the name of a Christian. Was it the time was in your prayer? That we live up to that name. That we actually look like Christ and we actually live our lives like Christ so that when we stand before God, He'll say, you are one of mine. I knew you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And we've got to think about that. We've got to be prepared about that because that's better than all the precious ointment we can get on here, all the stuff that makes us smell good, all the stuff that draws people to us. Oh, man. And it's all this external stuff that we get so wrapped up in rather than that really deep, the true essence of an individual, right? More Life is more than the clothes we put on and the food that we eat, Jesus said. There's a lot more to life than that. And so it is good for us at the end of verse 1 to think about it's better that the day of death than the day of birth. I'm going to be honest, I, I don't like going to funerals. We just had announced one on Saturday that, that I'll be attending and some of you will be attending. That's not enjoyable to go to. Well, I sure don't have any trouble going to a hospital to see a baby that's been born and seeing that little thing and seeing the big smile on mom and dad's face and seeing how excited they are to hold that thing and take that thing home. And, man, yeah, that thing, by the way, I don't know if it's he or she. It's not a baby, it's a thing. Yeah. But you, you get the point, right? But God is saying it's better for us on that day of death. So it's better for us, verse 2, to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. Again, I'd rather barbecue this weekend than have to go to a funeral. And God is saying it's better for you to go to a funeral than have a barbecue. And that's, that's totally not human thinking at all. But God is saying to us in this verse that we're all going to die. This is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. You need to think about your mortality from time to time. And oftentimes we don't do that voluntarily. We are made to think of our mortality. It might be we get the message from the doctor like Doug got you got the cancer or Patricia. Not messages we want to hear or like a preacher's wife up in upstate New York who has been battling cancer for, what, seven years or something along those lines and is now resigned to, we're not trying to preserve life, but just prolong it. That makes you really think about what is most important and who is most important and what I'm going to do that day is most important. And we don't usually wake up that day and think, man, I might die today. We think, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go buy. I'm going to sell. I'm going to make a profit. I'm going to pay this bill. And I'm going to do this enjoyable thing. And then you're driving home from that enjoyable thing and you think, man, I could have been killed today. Or... Somebody else could have been killed today. It makes you think differently. So as I'm driving in my car, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm all worried. Is, is this car drunk? Is it? 
you see the world differently. Because you're not just seeing it for what you, you feel and what you're experiencing. You're thinking about what, the, what might happen. How am I preparing? How can I be prepared? And God says one of the ways you prepare is you go and you go to that house of mourning. You don't always live life like that ostrich with your head in the sand. In that fantasy world of everything is okay. Sometimes we have to sit down and we have to think very soberly and very deeply about life. And so sorrow, verse 3, is better than laughter. And for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise, verse 4, is in the house of mourning. But the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. The wisest person is thinking about his end. The wise person is not living here, not living right now. The wise person is thinking ahead, and we were talking about that Thursday night in our Wendy's class, about how to Jesus, as He's preparing His disciples on the night in which He's betrayed, He says, and yet a little while, you will see Me no more. But then you will. And we talked about, from the perspective, Jesus says to them, it's going to be just a little while. But to the apostles, it was going to feel like a really long time. But God knew the whole thing. He was seeing it from, as we say, a bird's eye view, a 35,000 foot view. He sees the whole thing. And the wise person is thinking about, what is this going to do and affect me 10 years down the road? Or 15 While my generation, we don't think about retirement very much. We think about, though, we're going to buy this and that and all that, and I'm as guilty as any. That's not wise. That's stupid. That's foolish. And what we're learning about is, man, we have to be preparing always for meeting our God. Because, as he would say at the end of the book, as we so very know, at the end of chapter 12, The verse 13, the end of the matter has all been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Like, those of us in this audience, we probably know that. But that's probably not something that we think about on Tuesday, Thursday, as much as we think about it on Sunday. Because it's an attitude, it is a mindset. And that actually gets me to what I really wanted to talk about this morning. This morning what I wanted to talk about was the passage that Jeremy read from us in Ephesians chapter 4. As we think about really sobering us up as individuals. Sobering us up as human beings that will not live forever in this flesh. That all things good do not come. That as we think about truth being in the Lord's church, that when the Lord says, here is my church, here is truth, there is truth about what is right and what is wrong as we've been discussing. But I want you to notice what else is found about truth in the Lord's church as we read. Notice as we've been talking about, you put off the old man and you put on the new man, which is the truth in Christ Jesus. But notice verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, what happens and what is in the Lord's church is we tell each other the truth. We say things that aren't very comfortable. We answer questions that people ask us. Maybe they're just being very inquisitive. They're like, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, right? And then we know the difference between how you doing and how are you doing. We know that difference. That question is a very personal and very deep and a very spiritual question. And we say, oh, I'm great. Everything's good. And everything may not be good. Everything may not be great. In fact, I might be living a completely hypocritical life, or maybe I've got this one real thing that's really bothering me. But without even thinking, I just said everything's fine. Everything's good. And what I think God is asking us to do, that's not you. We're open with each other. We talk with each other. We, as James 5 says in verse 19, confess your sins one to another. I think that's deeper than getting up here and saying we've sinned or saying I've done this. I don't think what God is telling us to do is that we just openly and blatantly talk with every single person about the sins of which we have committed. But what if something's going on in my life and someone comes up to me and says, how are you doing? Maybe it's some past sin that they are aware about or that people know about. Or maybe it's for loss of a loved one or something like that. What would be wrong or untruthful about saying, I just don't feel comfortable talking about that? Wouldn't that be an interesting response to someone, someone gave you that? How are you feeling? What are you thinking about? How are you? I'm sorry. I just don't feel like talking about this today. That may prolong it, that may push it off to another time, or I'm sorry, I don't really feel comfortable talking about that with you. I wonder how I would take a response like that. But I would appreciate that, I think. You're telling me the truth. I'm not trying to hide necessarily anything. I, I just don't feel right about that with you. Rather than, everything's okay. I got no problems in my life, you know, smooth sailing. But in one sense, you're saying, you know what? Things aren't as great as this. And maybe it prides us to go and actually talk to somebody that we do feel comfortable talking about. Because maybe that's what we needed. Maybe we needed that little pride. Again, that question forced me to think about something that maybe I had been trying to put off and suppress. And by me speaking truth with my neighbor helps me be truthful to myself. Because it's hard to be truthful to our neighbors as members of one another. Because that's the reason that he gives that we tell each other the truth. is because I don't lie to my left foot when it is hurting. And I don't lie to my right hand. Because i got nothing to hide from. He says, you're members of one another. As members of the body of Christ, you speak truth with one another. But maybe someone, they ask me a question that's not as just inquisitive. 
It's more accusative. It's more, did I hear that you were, or did I hear that you are doing this? No, 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 no. I'd never do that. When truthfully, you've been caught red-handed. That word is already out, people already know. And so we got something to hide and say. Nope, wasn't me. No, well, you see, here's what the situation really was. And we start forming it to our own benefit. When the answer was, did I hear that you said this? Yeah, I said that. That's really comfortable for both parties, right? It's really comfortable when someone accuses you with a question. Such as Acts chapter 5, right? Ananias, Sapphira, they have sold their land. They have sold it for X amount of money. And they have said to each other, we will say we sold the land for X amount of money, and that's the amount of money that we are going to give at the apostles' feet. And so, Ananias, he goes, he lays it there. He sold the land for this much. Man, why did he lie to the Holy Spirit, Peter says? Drops dead. Again, didn't expect that to happen. Three hours later, the text tells us, wife missing old hubby. Imagine, right, you sent your husband off to shop right or to someone's house to drop off something. Three hours later, still not back. And you don't have the cell phone to be able to text them or call them. You go look. Oh, Sapphira. Did you sell the land for so much? Yeah, we sold the land for so much. Why have you conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit, to God? Just as men who carried your husband out, so they'll carry you out. Gone. Boom. When she could have said, well, we really sold it, for this much, but we said this much. My guess is she still would have had her life. But we're lying to each other by saying, I sold it for this, and it was really good. You say, is it all negative? Is it all bad? Speaking of the truth, is it always got to be a bad thing? No, it's not always a bad thing. The truth is sometimes you have to answer hard questions. The other side of it is, when it comes to speaking truth with one another, sometimes we have to say what needs to be said. Sometimes we've got to be the one that says the uncomfortable thing, that asks the uncomfortable question. Because maybe we've heard about something that is going on. And if that is in fact true, you're worried. You're concerned about the individual. You're worried that this sin will continue. That this sin will cost this person their soul. And so out of love you say, is this right? Is this what I heard? And that gets really uncomfortable really fast. Because no one wants to bring that up. But what does Jesus say in Matthew the 18th chapter? In Matthew chapter 18... Because here's what usually happens, right? 
somebody sins or somebody has wronged me is the situation which I'm going to go with. Say someone has lied to me and I found out about it. My own brother or my own sister lied to me. Jesus says, verse verse 15 of Matthew 18, If your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You know what usually happens when our brother sins against us who we usually tell? Another brother. Another sister. We don't, we don't go and speak truth to our brother who wronged us. We go and we speak the truth to another brother or another sister who will back us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it doesn't work that way in my house. In my house, you tell each other when you are hurt and when you're wrong. Isn't that what we want our children to do in our house? Don't come tell me what they did. Work that out amongst yourselves. Fix that problem. But yet we're very comfortable saying difficult things to someone that's not involved. We kind of deal with that. And so maybe we know that we are at odds with a brother or a sister. And we're not going to deal with that. Like again, we're going to stick our head in the sand like an ostrich. Well, notice what Jesus says back in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. He says in chapter 5, verse 23, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're going to make sacrifice, you're going to worship, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. You realize, man, you know what? What I said to brother so-and-so was... Well, that was pretty cold. That was, that was not right to do. He says, that's the situation. He says, leave your gift there before the altar. Go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. So oftentimes, when we realize that I've hurt somebody, maybe I try to justify why I did what I did. And I don't really want to go and, as we say, eat crow or go and humble ourselves before the individual because I'm less, I'm always right. And that's just not the way it is. He says, do it quickly. Because guess what? Your brother's got an accusation that he can bring against you. He can say, Wes lied to me. Or he can say, Wes did this to me. And God will be like, yeah, he did he sure did. He needs to make that right. He says, you better do that quickly. So when your brother hurts you or when you realize you hurt you, it's not a, hey, let's just let time heal all wounds. It's, hey, man, we need to deal with this because we're members of one another. Because if I've got a problem with my stomach, right, and many of you know that I've been having a problem with my stomach, I let that go on way too long. And only more trouble happens when you don't go and deal with it right away. And the truth is it hurts when you say it right away. And it hurts when you say it later. It's never going to be a comfortable conversation. It's never going to be fun. 
but we said it heart to heart, face to face, to each other, because we love one another. Because that's what we are. And so maybe I'm a little bothered by something you said. You didn't hurt me. You didn't sin against me. I just don't really like it. So again, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go tell a friend over here, man, I don't really like this. Brother so-and-so did this. Or sister so How about this? How cool would it be? I shouldn't say cool because cool is not the right word because it wouldn't be cool. But how, how unique would it be that if something is kind of bothering me, I actually go and tell the person, you know, it's really bothering me that you don't say wear a tie to preach. I'd find that very interesting. I might disagree with the individual, but I would appreciate the honesty. Because you felt like you could come and talk to me about that. And recently someone did. Not here, but someone did. It was weird to me. But that's what brothers and sisters do. We say things even when it's not what we want to hear. Because it needs to be said. But Wesley said everything's not negative, right? So what about when your brother or your sister really helps you out? They help you out of a bind. Maybe they, they gave you a lift. Maybe they gave you some money. Maybe they provided some food for you. How great would it be to say, man, thank you. I really appreciate that. You didn't have to do that. But for whatever reason, when we are in debt, some reason we think people owe it to us to take care of us. Like, do what? Yeah, we do have responsibility to help one another. But gratitude. I, I, I'm thinking about Bill for a second. So I called up Bill one day and I wanted to go see Bill. I want to come see him. You know what Bill and Betty did for me? They prepared food for me rather than me bringing food to Bill and Betty. I'm going to tell you, that's kind of crazy. That's ridiculous. But that's so nice that people would do that. It should have been the other way around. Thank you for that. I don't think I ever sent the card. I'm terrible at this, which is why I'm preaching to myself. I'm terrible at saying thank you. As I said last week, it's hard for me to give praise because I don't take it well. But sometimes people just need to know, you're doing a good job, keep it up. Paul did that with the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4. No one needs to teach you about brotherly love. Because you have been taught by God and you do it. But my request is that you do this more and more. You're doing great. Just keep up the good work. And if you've ever been someone that someone has come along and said, man, you're really doing great. I'm so proud of you. Keep it up. Or instead of being concerned about a brother or a sister, you're very confident in them. You know that they are going through a really difficult time. Maybe it is a really tough decision that they've got to make. Maybe it's marriage related, maybe it's finance related, maybe it's job related. Maybe you can go through a number of things. Maybe it's a family decision that they've got made. And you go up to them and you say things like what Paul says to the Corinthians in their giving. I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. Because it really hints to the totality of an individual. You're more than just this one decision that has to be made right here, right now. And because of who you are as a whole, 
I am confident that you are going to make the right decision this time. And that's what Paul says to these Corinthians in chapter 8 here of 2 Corinthians. He says in verse 6, after giving the example of the brethren in Macedonia who gave of themselves first. They were very poor, but they gave of themselves to the Lord and they gave above and beyond their means because they gave themselves to the Lord first. He says, now you Corinthians, let me remind you of something. Notice verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. We started taking up this money. It's now time to bring it to completion. The end of a thing is better than the beginning of the thing, Ecclesiastes 7 also said. So it's time to, time to wrap this thing up. Another notice verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. Man, look at all these good things that you are really doing a good job in, Corinthians. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Like, man, you have made some really good decisions over the last little bit, and you've made some really good progress. I know you're going to do it here too. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying about you. You've got this. Somebody came up to me and said that. I think you'd give me a, a, a boost, man. Like they think that I can do the right thing. All because somebody just told me the truth. They said what needed to be said, and we would use a word that encouraged. And that's in essence what even telling someone that they don't want to hear we are trying to do is trying to encourage one another to do the right thing. And so we speak the truth to one another because we love each other and we understand that we're going to have to answer to God and we want to help each other be prepared to do that. And so how great would it be when someone asks you what's the difference between your church and my church, we tell the truth to each other. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't lie to each other. We don't deceive one another. We are open and we are honest about the things that we struggle with, about how proud we are of the efforts that we have made and the progress, but how at the same time Philippians 4 we're not satisfied with where we're at. Because we haven't attained. We're working together so that we can be perfect, united as one in the body of our Lord, as His bride, as we talked about last week. Let's be a people that speak truth one to another. Because that's the truth in Christ Jesus. This morning, maybe you're ready to have your sins washed away. Maybe you're ready to join the body of Christ. Or maybe there's somebody that you need to tell the truth to that you've been lying to, and they they can bring it to God and accuse you of it. Don't wait any longer. Deal with that quickly, sooner rather than later, because we don't know what is going to happen on our way home. Or sitting right here between now and the final amen gift.
subject in any way to the Lord's call once you come this morning as we now speak.